How wonderful it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning, to worship together and to fellowship together with fellow believers in Christ. Thank you for being here this morning. The leadership, we have been going through various subjects of the Bible. And for the month of August, Lord willing, we are going to talk about and divide this scripture up. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This question came about, Jesus answered this question because it says that a lawyer asked, he said, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus didn't hesitate. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your spirit, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. So hopefully this month, the various speakers will pick one of these and will talk about how it fits into this scripture and into our life. I got the easiest one of the group, except it doesn't, oh, turn it on, be good. Huh, it's locked. Let's try that. And that just killed everything. We're going to get started here in a minute, I promise. If not, we will do it the old-fashioned way. Okay, well, <laughs> it's there now, but guess what I did? I changed the button directions. Now I'm using the back button to go forward, so this ought to be cool, because I don't know how to change it. I'm sorry, I've got to fix it. All right, I think it'll work this time. Yes, I'm sorry about that. So the topic that I have this morning has to do with who is God? If we're going to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and spirit, why? Now, not a one of us that speak up here couldn't speak for hours on God, and I promise you not to do that this morning. But when we talk about who is God, it's important that we understand. In Psalms, the 53rd verse, it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and have been abominably, abominable iniquities and have done abominable iniquity. When you speak about there is no God, the scripture says that person is a fool because it is obvious that there has to be a God. And it says, there is none who do good or does good. If a person does not believe in God and he convinces someone else that there is no God, he has not done good, he has done evil. All of us here this morning, I don't have to worry about that. We all believe there's a God or we wouldn't be here. But I would hope to give you some insight of the study of the scriptures this morning. Monty led the song for us, holy, holy, holy. Revelations 4 and 8 says the four living creatures, each having six wings, with f were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. In the Greek for the New Testament, holy is defined as pure, blameless, sacred. From the Hebrew of the Old Testament, it is sacred, clean, sanctified, basically the same meaning. But our God is pure. He is purer, which is not a word my wife will tell you, or is purest. He is holy, holy, holy. Those creatures worship him day and night, for he is God. I want to step back a minute and remind you of what it says in Genesis in Genesis, the first chapter in the 26th verse, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. In the seventh verse of the second chapter says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. I like the King James Version better, a living soul. 
God gave man something different than he gave the other living creatures on this earth. He created us out of the dust and he gave us an eternal soul. Cats don't have that. Dogs don't have that. Cows don't have that. We have an eternal soul. And in the reading, the reason I wanted the reading this morning, thank you, Isaac, is the fact that Paul, when he was there on Mars Hill, it's easier to say that than the other word. He said, I looked about and I seen all of these idols that you have, all of these gods you worship. And I noticed there's one that says, just in case, to the unknown God, one we've missed. And of course, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, used that chance to convince these people to talk to these people about this unknown God. Now, he wasn't really the unknown God, for he is the God. But Paul used the opportunity, the opening here, to speak to these people about this God they did not know. Now, not only did God give man a soul that's eternal, but if you go to, to the darkest jungles of South America or the darkest jungles of Africa or to the Arctic Circle and talk to people, they believe and they worship something. Man has an innate need to worship something. They may worship the stars. They may worship people. They may worship idols. They may worship nature. They may worship snakes. They worship something because the soul requires, wants to worship. How fortunate we are that we worship what is truly needs to be worshiped, and that's God. We worship the only God. Now, who is God? God said of himself, I am that I am. He called himself, I am. And you know in the scriptures there where this comes from. This comes from when Moses was told to go and tell the children of Israel that God was going to lead them out from Egypt. And Moses was concerned. He said, they don't know you. So when they asked me, what is your name, what shall I say to them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shall I say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. The name I am that I am has some very deep meanings. Eya, Asher, Eya. Eya, the scholars of Hebrew say that the verbs in the Hebrew language, do not have tenses. You have to know from the sentence whether it means the past tense or the present or the future, not like English had. But Ea, it can mean I am, it can mean I was, and it can mean I will be. What a perfect thing for God to say. I am, I was, and I will be, for he is. Asher is translated into a number of words, that, who, which, or where, in the King James Version, is I am that I am. and the New King James Version, it's I am who I am. You know, Moses, he said, those people don't know who I am when he's talking to the children of Israel. And they don't know who you are, God. What is your name? Have you ever tried to explain a difficult concept to a three-year-old? Because they'll keep saying why. And they'll keep saying why. And eventually you say, because I said so. Well, that's what God said. He said, I am who I am. That's all you need to know. That's who I am. When I read that, I am that I am, I was going through and I came across a song. It's called The Dream. And the words of the song are appropriate for the lesson this morning. Because in the dream, the lyrics go that a man has a dream and he goes before God. And he says, what is your name? 
And God said, as he said with Moses in the dream, I am that I am. But the lyricist continues to break that down, which I think is good because it gives me a better understanding of I am that I am. For he said, God told him that I am wisdom, I am truth, I am mercy. I am the Almighty One, the Lord your God, Alpha and Omega, who was and is and still to come. I am, I am that I am. So when God uses that term, I think it is good in my mind anyway to think of the things we have here. For God is wisdom, and he is truth, and he's mercy. One of the things that God has given mankind is the ability to understand some of his characteristics. And as we go through the lesson this morning, to keep it from being too long, we're going to talk about some of his characteristics. But mankind does not understand to the depth of what God is. We understand love, right? I love my children. I love my wife. I love my friends. I love things. But we don't really have a good concept of what God's love is. How deep is his love as we sing in the song? We understand time. We came together this morning at a specific time. We'll go home this afternoon. Tomorrow, if God allows us to be here, we'll have time. But do we understand eternity? Do we understand a beginning and an end? No. We understand certain things about God's characteristics, but to think that God is forever is beyond our comprehension. For he has no beginning and no end. So even though God has given us the ability to understand some of his characteristics, we don't know them in depth as they truly are. Let's look at wisdom. I am wisdom. The scripture says that God has wisdom. It's really interesting that in Job, the 28th chapter, I, I like this verse of scripture. Job is justifying himself. And he says, from where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, oh, we have heard a report about it with our ears. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looked to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind and a portion the waters by measure. When he made a law for the rain and a path for the thunder. God created this earth, and it is so fragile. Our atmosphere is practically 50 miles thick. Mankind and living animals have been dreaming that the air on this earth for thousands of years, and yet we still have oxygen. The water, it rains. It may not rain here, but it rains somewhere. But there is an amount of rain that God has had wisdom that this is the amount we want. Whenever I read someone have an idea that, well, we can create clouds over here and have it rain, or we can move the water from the Mississippi somewhere else. It always puts a red flag because I'm saying, what other things are going to happen if we, we don't have that kind of wisdom that God had? Job continued and said, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it. Indeed, he searched it out. And to a man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And depart from evil is understanding. God said, I have wisdom. And his wisdom is deeper in understanding than we can understand wisdom. But he said, you know what's really simple for you as human beings to do? If you want wisdom, fear the Lord. And depart from evil is understanding. Knowing what the commandments of God are and doing them so that we stay away from evil is our wisdom. That's what he wants of us. How about truth? I am the truth. In John the 18th chapter there, we find where... 
Pilate had Jesus before him, and he wanted to know if he was the king. And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for the cause I will come into the earth, into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? There is no better question of what Pilate said than today. I can turn on the TV and put it on a news channel and listen to the news. I can turn to another channel with the same facts and listen to the news, and they're totally different. Their opinions are different because man has opinions. He doesn't have truth. So what is truth? Truth is what God is. The scripture says he cannot lie. He is truth. In John, the 17th chapter, Jesus praying for his apostles says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So what is truth? It's this. It's God's word. It is straightforward. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. They can be made sanctified through the truth of God, his word is truth. If you skip back a chapter before that, Jesus is speaking to his, his disciples, his apostles. In John 16 and 13, it says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Jesus was telling them that he was going to depart And when he departed, he would send them the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would give them the truth. And it wasn't the Holy Spirit's truth, it was God's truth. And we know that through the scriptures that the Holy Holy, uh, Spirit directed those men to speak and to write what we find in here. They wrote the truth because they were given the truth, and it was God's truth. When I think of God's name, I am mercy. If you want to think of anything that we understand mercy, but how deep is God's mercy? Can we really comprehend how good it is? I like what the psalmist wrote in the 85th Psalm. It says, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and he shall make his footsteps our pathway. God's truth is put together with mercy, but his righteousness, if you and I, God is a righteous God, and if you and I are judged on our righteousness, we will all fail. But God has made a way through his son that righteousness and peace kissed. The peace that mankind has because of our belief in Jesus Christ and what he did for us means that we can be righteous before God because Jesus Christ was. So mercy and truth has met together and righteousness and peace have kissed. If it wasn't for the mercy of God, where would we be? You know, I was talking about how that mankind has that attribute. We understand what mercy is. The animal kingdom doesn't. Can you think of a coyote that would have mercy on a rabbit that had a broken foot? Or a lion have mercy on a young calf that can't run fast enough? Nature does not have mercy. God has mercy. And he has allowed us to understand what mercy is, just not at the depth. 
In Job, the 11th chapter, if you turn back to Job again, you know, Job's friends kept accusing Job of doing bad things, and they were wrong. It wasn't Job that was, was doing bad things, but the devil was tempting Job. But they did say and have certain things they said that were the truth. Then Zophar, the Namathite, answered and said, But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Prudence means smartness. If you just knew the secrets of wisdom, you'd be, you'd be twice as smart as you are today, Job. Know, therefore, that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And if God ex exacted from us what we deserved, where would we be? For he exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. For all have sinned and fallen short and fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall short. If it wasn't for his mercy, where would we be? Easy one. God is love. Hear it all the time. 1 John 3 and 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed for us, that we should be called the children of God. What a bestowed blessing, mercy, that God would give to mankind, that if we do his commandments and we follow what his son said, we can be children of his. That's love. 1 John 4 and 16, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him, if we abide in God, we will receive his love, but we will also show love. We love him because he first loved us. We've already mentioned this this morning, but I want to bring it up again. The fear of God is wise. There's wisdom in the fear of God. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is, the ma this is, for this is man's all, or the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So what is what man should do? We're supposed to fear God and keep his commandments. And we'll keep his commandments because we fear him. Not only that, but we love him. But that is the basis of wisdom for man is to fear him and keep his commandments. Because God, in the end... In Judgment Day, it says here, is going to judge us on everything that we've done, whether it's good or evil, whether it is secret. And if without his son, what chance would we have? Now, I hear that, and it is true, it's not false, but fear defined here. I've heard people say, well, it's to revere or have reverence for. Like as a small child or as a, as a child would have reverence a revere of their father or their mother because they are the authority figure. And that's true even in God's point. But that same word fear is defined as a fright, be afraid, and dread. In modern religion today, very few people talk about fearing God. They talk about his love and they talk about his mercy. But they need to understand that there's going to be a judgment. And we better be right with God because if we're not then we will be condemned, and we better be afraid of that. We don't want to be there, to dread. Hebrews tells us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. If we're not right with Christ, if we're not right with God, what is the end that we will have? The judgment is coming, and we don't want to be in the hands of God on the wrong side of his mercy. 
I have an example here that I, I really like. We find in Numbers, the 16th chapter. In Numbers, the 16th chapter, we find here where there was a group of men that were rebelling against Moses. It says, Now Koran, the son of Zephar, the son of Kothath, and son of Levi, with Bethan and Abram, and the son of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, and son of Reuben, took men. And I know I've butchered all of those. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. These were people who had authority within the, the tribes of Israel and were, were directing them as they went through the wilderness. And what their argument was and their rebellion was is, Moses, you shouldn't have all the authority. We need some. We want to lead the people. If you read on down there, it finds that, that Moses said, I tell you what. Well, first of all, let me back up and say God told Moses to take the people of Israel and get them away from those people, move them away in the camp. And then Moses said, I tell you what, speaking to the children of Israel, he said, if these men are saying what they say is true, then let them live a normal life and die of old age. And I'm wrong. It came to pass when Moses speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men of Koran and with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all of Israel who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. You don't think they had the fear of God? You don't think they didn't have the fear and understanding of Moses and who he was, directed by God? At least for a little while, they knew what was important. They had the fear of God put in them, and that's really a wise thing for man to have, is to understand that in the last day, we're going to be judged by what we have done, good or evil or in even in secret. The Bible has a lot of names for God. And they have importance for us to look at the characteristics of God. The names give us some of the characteristics of God. Yahweh, that we hear a lot today, really comes from four uh, letters of the, of the Hebrew language. yod heh wah Yahweh is how we pronounce it. That name was so holy to the people of the Old Testament that they didn't speak it out loud. They, would they were afraid that some terrible thing would happen to them if they said Yahweh. So they didn't. They made up words for God. They said Adonai, which means my Lord, which God is Lord. Elom, which means, is a common name for God or God's Elom. Hashem, Hashem, sorry, Heshem, which means the name. You know, if they wanted to speak about God and you and I were having a conversation over coffee and we wanted to talk about God, they wouldn't say Yahweh. they say, you know, the guy that's got that name, Heshem. That person, that God, that is who they would say. Elohim, Elohim, God of gods. Adonai Adiom, Lord of lords. El Shaddai, the mighty God. And Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. These are all names for God that you find in the Old Testament. And they speak to his characteristic of what God is. As we close our lesson this morning... Ian taught us a song called The Goodness of God, God's Goodness. He wasn't here to sing it for us this morning, and I hated to try to find somebody else that would try it. But those of us that have been here have heard the song in our assembly, and we learned it in the 
school this summer, our singing school, the goodness of God. And when Ian started to teach us that song, he referenced uh, Exodus, the 33rd chapter. Now, let me bring you up to speed. Moses had been up on Mount Sinai for quite a while, and he had the tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. And he was coming down the mountain, and he saw that the people were worshiping a golden calf. It made him so angry, and he was so disappointed that he threw them down and crushed them, and they broke. Later on, God said, get two more tablets, bring them up to the mountain, and I will rewrite the law for you. So that's where we are. And Moses is there with God, and the scriptures tell us that he couldn't really see God perfectly. He was in a cloud or he was in smoke because the scripture says, no man has seen God. His glory is too great. So what did Moses said? He said, please show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. You know what God said? Again, to the deepest meaning of God. He then said, I will make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He says, you want to see my glory? Look at my goodness. That's where it is. Now, in the Old Testament, as long as the children of Israel did what God wanted them to do, his goodness was unbelievable. A land of milk and honey. No war. All of the peoples around them were subservient to them as long as they did God's will. His goodness was there. In the dispensation of time, when it was the correct time, God sent his son to die for you and I. The scriptures call him Emmanuel. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God sent his son to show us his goodness. He sent his son to show us his glory. John 1 and 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. If you want to look at goodness, look at Jesus Christ. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. And he did that by demonstrating God's goodness, which shows God's glory. If anyone speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone minister, let him do it as with ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is glorified. Why? Because he showed us his goodness and his son. How great is that? How deep is that for us? In Romans, the fifth chapter, the writer there says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you look up a few verses there, it says that you might die for a really righteous man or peradventure for a good man, you might die. But that's not what this said. He sent his son. Now, there may be some situation, maybe I can come out, that someone that I knew was going to do some great thing for the world, I might die for them. I know this man is about to cure cancer, but he needs someone to protect him. Maybe I would die for that if I knew he was going to cure cancer. But that's not what this is talking. I can't think of an incident where I would send my sons or my daughter to die. God did. His love for us, his goodness is shown in what he did for us on the cross. You shall love the God with all your heart, with all, uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
the characteristics of God. We understand what wisdom is, but we don't know the depth of his wisdom. We understand love, but we don't know the depth of his love. We understand mercy, but how can we understand the mercy of God? So he deserves to be worshipped. He deserves to be loved. He is the almighty God, and we need to love him with all we have. One of the things we can do to love God is to do his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. And Jesus has left commandments for us that we want, if we want to be a part of his kingdom and his body, then we need to follow the things that Christ has asked us to do. We need to forgive, we need to confess that he is the Lord. He is Jesus, the Son of God. We need to repent of our sins. We need to confess his name. We need to be baptized, have our sins washed away. You can do that. And God's mercy, that's unbelievable, is on you. God's love, which is unbelievable, is on you. His righteousness, his faith, his care for his children is unbelievable. If there's someone subject to the gospel call, we ask you to come as we stand and sing the song selected. First and third verse. <laughs>